Today's episode is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Star Trek edition. Today, it's the Undiscovered Country, Star Trek VI. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, of course, the cloaked man himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Decloak and tell us something, Tom. There is an old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. <laughs> I swear, some of these movies, like if you if you blink, you'd you'd miss something, you know. Yeah, like, a, I, a great I, quote I, like that. I still contend. I think I think this this film has the the um the highest number of uh quality one liners. Yeah, absolutely. Li- line line for line, but it's also a particular kind of dialogue, which Nicholas Meyer seems to have mastered. He seems more than adept at. Other. Yeah, right. Star Trek writer, which is where he's able to kind of balance, a, it's like a tightrope act between the political realities of 20th century Earth and the fictional universe of Star Trek. Yeah, so you right. get these lines, lines again and again, like it, it's it's well, and I, I think, and and that's the that's the to me that's the push and pull of all Star Trek, right. and yet. Not every Star Trek writer can figure out that balance. Yeah, and I, but Nicholas I Meyer it, has nailed I it. I think it goes beyond that because we've talked several times over the last few episodes and in, in our ranking episode about how literate the series is. Yes. And so if even if you take just the title of this movie, The Undiscovered Country, <laughs> yes. and think about that title, it's you don't have to know that it comes from Shakespeare. Uh, right. And yet there's, you know... It it's it still feels so in the wheelhouse of Star Trek. Well, and, and that's and, the know, balance you're... that I think that a Nicholas Meyer also brings within the writing, like that in and of itself, you know. Yeah, and also you know if you didn't know that was from uh, was from uh, Hamlet, Hamlet, yeah, a character in this film will tell you, yeah, right, yeah, it's from Hamlet, <laughs> and exactly where it's from, act and verse. Yes. Act scene and verse. Well, and and then speaking to Nicholas Meyer's dialogue, there's the delicious moment of you really haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've read yes. it in the original Klingon, which is just superb. It is superb. I, I, we talked about it a little bit before. I do want to add that it's very interesting in relation to the original series. The 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 character that they would typically give a line like that to was Chekhov, uh-huh. where he would claim all the great cultural. Um, uh, breakthroughs of of history came from russian origin yeah, and right, in, the, right. in, in the movie series it's the klingons who do that which i think shows you the kind of shift where you know chekhov represented a cold war adversary yes right in the in the original series who had you know we'd made an ally of by the by the 23rd century mm-hmm. whereas in the in the film series obviously you know that you that would seem xenophobic to do and also you know you obviously you're you're winding down to the end of the cold war yeah um and so the klingons have kind of filled that 
that enemy vacuum. Um, sure. I, that's in dialogue, but but it's the, funny you know, that that they're the filling a void. The story of this movie completely supports that. Yeah, right? the story of the movie completely supports that that they stand for the Soviet Union. Yeah, and it's but it's interesting that they, we have an in-world fill-in for a void of out-of-world, you know, context within the series itself. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Although, what another interesting thing is that this is, I think, the only movie in the series where they do a callback to Chekhov claiming uh her- the heritage of of uh, an iconic cultural text as russian mm-hmm. because he talks about the russian fairy tale cinderella, cinderella yeah so, th- <laughs> so and he's the one who says guess guess who's coming guess who, yeah right 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 so they're very i think maya and the and the producers of the film very consciously using that heritage of chekhov and what he represented in TOS to, to transition into the Klingons as the new stand-ins for the Soviet yeah. Union. Uh, and it, it's it's indicative of, of how rich and complex and interesting the writing is yeah. in this film, not just... And the world how itself. It, how it alludes to the world around us, it also how it works within the canon of Star Trek. Yeah. You know, it's it. <laughs> it'll sound funny to say this out loud, but um, this discussion in and of itself, what it reminds me of are uh, Looney Tunes, like Bugs Bunny, and I. Well, that makes total sense to me. Okay, I can good. See why someone? For, no, no, yeah, because it is. It's like it's it's. A, You're reminded it's exactly of how much you thing. learned from yeah. watching Looney Tunes. You know, as you get older, you realize. Oh, Barber of Seville! Like that's a real opera. I oh, I get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's the classic Facebook meme that that go that you know cycles round of I, I learned everything about classical music from Bugs Bunny. Yeah, <laughs> uh, of course, there's the great Seinfeld episode where Lorraine says, "If you you learn you she she goes further and says everything you know about high culture is from Bugs Bunny yeah, cartoons." Exactly. But you're absolutely right. I think it's I think it's exactly the same. I yeah, think it's exactly the same dichotomy and. Uh, I would say this is this is one of the most this movie is one of the most successful examples of that in Star Trek because it can veer both ways, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 various different series and movies. Um, the balance is just right here, and that's no accident. That's all Nicholas Meyer. And I do I do want to add to this right that mm-hmm. I really don't think Nicholas Meyer gets the kind of credit. No, yeah, he deserves. Well, and it's I was just gonna say the same thing because what I was gonna say. We're dealing with a director who uh, does not close, does not start the series nor close it out because this original cast, or at least members from it, linger on a little bit and and, well, and in fact, I don't think he had any awareness of that. I think he was actually he was doing his damnedest to close it out, yes. and they fucking wouldn't let him. Right. But but my point was, you're talking about a man who, despite the fact that he did not direct the first movie, he saved the series by directing the second movie. And then he closed for for all, you know, for ostensibly he does close out the series. And that lets you. He's trying to. Yeah, he's absolutely trying to. And and that lets you know uh, how the series feels about his self-worth, like how important he is. And he, he is that important to the series. He is. I just wish that was recognized more widely. Yeah, like you, I wish I wish he was known for that more. 
Because if you think, I mean, when you, you know, if you read anything about Star Trek, the first thing they'll do is throw the fact that the original series featured some of the most famous science fiction and fantasy writers of the 20th century, like, you know, Robert Bloch. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that was a payday to them. They phoned it in. Yeah, sure. They didn't do their best work there. Nicholas Meyer is doing yes. his best work for Star Trek. Agreed. And his best work is, is excellent. Well... If you haven't guessed already, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, uh, the, 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 the mostly close-out movie for the original <laughs> cast. Uh, it, I would argue, I would argue if, if nothing came after this, yeah, it, you, we, we would see it that way. Everything that's happened since that has been the problem, right. there is nothing in and of the film itself that leaves anything open. Agreed. Uh, the movie came out in 1991. Once again, we're we're getting back out of the dregs of uh, reviews from The Final Frontier, uh, yeah. which reviewers were not kind to. This movie has 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, a budget of $30 million. Even in 1991, that's pretty impressive to me. This movie looks real, you yeah. know, for the most part, looks really good for, for, the most part, for $30 million. There really, there really are only a couple of uh, questionable aspects yeah. to how this movie looks, and I bet they looked okay at the at time. the time. Right, they just don't look great now. Uh, opening weekend, eighteen point one million in the USA, seventy four point eight million, and in the world, ninety six point eight. I mean, it's a good closeout, and we've talked about Nicholas Myers and and. Uh, for whatever it's worth, we know he did Star Trek Two. He did The Deceivers, Company Business, much maligned mm. movie, and a movie I love, which I think I mentioned before, Volunteers. Yeah, can't I'll talk me off it. of that one. Yeah, uh, I'm delighted by that movie. Have speaking of like not giving this film its full credit, mm -hmm. we've been talking a lot about the you know the non accidental accidental trilogy. Yeah. In this series. Should we be talking about it as a quadrilogy? Because as far as I can mm. tell, no part of this movie storyline can happen without uh, Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it's a puzzle piece that fits as nicely into the other ones as 2, 3, and 4 fit with each other because it's a continuation. It's always... A continuation, yeah. whereas this one has a time jump. So I, I think you're I, I right, that. but yeah. uh, but hear me out on this. Yeah, there is literally no reference to either Star Trek Five or the, or the motion, motion picture, picture. <laughs> to the point where and and thinking about it, those two movies could sort of happen anywhere in the timeline. Sure. In fact, I would argue Star Trek V is a better movie if it happened between the motion picture and Wrath of Khan. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's not it's not sim I mean, if if this was loaded with references to Star Trek V, that would caution me from yeah. from kind of like immediately saying it's the fourth part of the you know the accidental you'd have to call it a quadrilogy at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not. <laughs> they are happy to 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 sort of to completely ignore Star Trek Five. There are two half references to it. 
that I found. <laughs> and they're both implicit. You can do, you could you could argue it both ways. What are they? Um well, you'll have to remind me. Well, I again, but again, it's like in the eye of the beholder. Okay. I think I think Valeris, I think Inver- Valeris is not possible without Cybok. You need one bad Vulcan to establish another. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and then there's the scene Might where be a Kirk, stretch. And then but... there's the scene the scene on the in the um penal colony where um Captain Kirk looks at a a mini mountain and has a like almost does a kind of look to camera like this again <laughs> that's it that is literally it they, okay. they, they are happy I think it was it was sort of like no you don't hear people talking about it except for Jim Roddenberry who specifically said uh, that he doesn't acknowledge that Cybok exists in canon um, but Everyone else is just happy to sort of... And the same with the motion picture to some extent. Gene just, Roddenberry, let's... every time you mention him, he just sounds like such a curmudgeon. <laughs> like, oh, it's not the half of it. Always I mean, throwing you know... a spanner in the works. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. You, you, you only want the superficial mythos <laughs> of Gene Roddenberry. You do not want to go below that because you will not like what you find. Um <laughs> But uh, the same with the motion picture. There's an understanding that, yes, they happened, but they mean nothing in continuity. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think I think thinking that way elevates this movie even more Mm -hmm. in my eyes. That's interesting. I think it's more purposeful in the timeline of the series than it might look as the, you know. The if, if you read into his mountain looks, <laughs> no, no, because it. But there's some. I mean, you know, the, at some point, I re, in what this time ran, I realized that the reason for framing Kirk comes from two, three, and four. It's what he does in those movies that that basically gives them the idea that he's the perfect fall guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's important. No, that's it. That, 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 yeah, that is important. But that's narratively, the whole story. But narratively, that's the that makes a lot of sense. So it's yeah. Part four, yeah. kind of. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I should have started with that and not Shatner looking at a hill. <laughs> that's great. Uh, this movie, you know, once again, we kind of go back to getting nominations, sound effects, makeup, uh, you know. And then, I have things to say about makeup, and they are not complimentary. All right, fine. But <laughs> but it got a nomination, sir. And then uh, let's talk credits, because this movie opens with, uh, you know, credits changing colors, but I love the music, too. Like, Very yeah. interesting. A very interesting turn in the music towards a, a more ominous yeah, soundtrack right. yeah. that tells us this is going to be a thriller. Yeah, right. It doesn't have that triumphalist opening theme that we used to no it's and and that's that sets up a uh, yeah and well and it kind a of thriller. it's a this thriller is a and there are you know there's sort of uh you, i think you mentioned before that there's sort of an agatha christie kind of uh it's equal i would say it's equal parts agatha christie and alan j pakula there you go and uh <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I who, mean, it, who's playing it, Rusty Savage? 
Well, it's, I mean, you know, the, or savage. basically, when you break it down, this movie sort of, it filters Star Trek through a number of crime and punishment genres, mm-hmm. as I see it. We've got, uh, we've got a murder mystery, we've got a right. detective story, a courtroom drama, a prison drama, and an overall uh, political conspiracy drama. And they all get... About 15 minutes. That's <laughs> <Yes>, true. <laughs> um, which, I, I mean, I think it's one of the best choice, best storytelling choices Oh, I Because I, like, I, I, I revel in it. Whenever yeah, I watch I this movie, I just revel in it. Like, it's yeah. so much fun, I think, this movie. Abs- absolutely. Um, it, of course, we, we probably said too much about Gene Roddenberry already. But uh-huh. I love that it begins to a dedication to Gene Roddenberry. Uh, which is somewhat ironic given his lack of involvement in any of the sequels that worked. Right. And I retrospectively found out that Star Trek V came from an, uh, an a Roddenberry pitch. Oh my god, that's amazing. So he is the common denominator of the two films in the series that simply do not work. I have never <laughs> ever heard that before. I know, it was news to me. Wow. Um, and it explains so much because we talked, you know, we, we, we talked on that episode. I said, there's something that feels like the original Roddenberry blueprint for Star Trek here. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely was. Wow. All right. Uh, within the narrative of this story, I mean, you know, look, we're, we're, we're going to start with catastrophe and it's going to set everything up. Yeah. And the um, crux of the story is. Uh, what is it? A mining planet or moon? Or... Pra- Praxis, yeah. Praxis? It's their energy. It's their energy production planet. There you go. So if it blows up, it's the end of the Klingon Empire. Well, it does blow uh, up. <laughs> well, that's what I. But that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> it, I think it's it's literally that simple. Yeah. Um, in a good way, you know, in like it's like this is the this is the inciting incident of the screenplay well and it feels you know, very nothing can happen without this yeah and it feels very much of the time because it feels like they are representing the soviet union right the shades of, Ch- of chernobyl and yeah. you know we're starting to learn that the soviet union doesn't have any money or resources right. and and the cold war was based on the idea that they had more than the u.s had yes so we realize now that they need to come to the negotiation table out of Pure necessity yes yeah. right that's ex- i think that i have that exactly it we in in this one scene we've made the klingons represent the soviet union yeah absolutely um, and all of it is cl- like all of it is clear you know yes symbolism works best when it's clear right i would say yeah right. not when it's muddy yeah. and, and it's all crystal clear here what is also crystal clear is uh you know george George Takai is a natural Starfleet captain. He, uh, it's my note. My note is Sulu looks awfully He's... good in command. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting. Like this scene. Did you know that there's an episode of Voyager that painstakingly recreates this scene? Oh no, because one of the Vulcan uh, crew members of um, uh, what's the ship? Is it the Excelsior? Excelsior, yeah, yeah. Is, the bucket um, of bolts that Scotty hates. He is now hates. the captain of it, and, um, but he's also the one in the voyage home when they when they go and see a new Enterprise. He, he's the one who says, oh, "Well, I'm hoping for Excelsior." He likes that ship. 
Oh, that's true. See? It's yeah. part four. I'm telling you, mate. It's part yeah. four. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but uh, they, they painstakingly recreate this scene. They even, like, find some of the, like, background actors in the scene uh, for an episode of Voyager to show the origins of Tuvac, who started out as a crewman on oh, there. Wow. And it, it picks up seconds after this happens. Um, and, you know, the, the imagery of him with his cup of his tea, kind or... of his tea with, yeah. you know, is, is again, it's like it's it's just feels like it, it's been referenced so many times now mm-hmm. in other Star Trek canon. It, it's so it's become iconic. Um, but this is arguably I know I said this in Star Trek three, but again, this is arguably <laughs> George Takai's best moment, I think, is when. Uh, Commander Rand asks whether we should report it, and yeah. he very quickly turns back, eyes bulging, says, "Are you kidding?" Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think that's my. I got that It is delivered too. perfectly. It's a great line. Yes. It's a very self-aware line. Like, yeah, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna report the end of the Klingon Empire as we know it right. to Starfleet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We might do that. Not, but it's on my to-do you, list. But then you you know if you think about but the nothing execu- makes me happier than than when an actor delivers a line perfectly, yeah. And this is and one of those lines. Of I just Star love Trek, it. You, and that's the thing about Takai. If you look through all of Star Trek, there's so many examples of this. This one really just really stands out because they give him you know they give him the spotlight. Yeah. But um, again, like you if you think about it, you could have written it as badly as I just said it. You know, you could have trailed off. Yeah. Made it a little bit awkward. It's just, are you kidding? Yes. Cut. Done. And well, and Nicholas that's, Meyer that's does why him the favor. Belongs in a museum, damn yeah. it. And, and Nicholas <laughs> Meyer does him the favor of placing the camera in just the way in which he yeah. can turn to camera, mm-hmm. uh, not looking directly into it, but just off. Yeah. It, like everything about it is perfect. And uh, you know, we uh, at this point, you know, he hadn't come out, but uh, mm-hmm. he, most people generally knew he he was he was gay and. There is something very camp about this moment that I think I think alludes to that general knowledge that that he is a gay man mm-hmm. <laughs> and in command because it's a very if you Wait. think about it it's a very catty comment for a captain to make <laughs> and I like I like that's I mean all of that it makes it perfect for Takai I think. I, yeah I mean I think it makes it perfect for him I don't know how purposeful that was at the time but uh, you know. Uh, you don't get many Starfleet captains being this. Yeah, guy. that's interesting. I think it's, uh, <laughs> I'd love to see more of him in command. Right. Well, and you know, back home, we're having a meeting about the Klingons. We're finding everything out. Cartwright's there. There's a big meeting. You know, we're like Captain Kirk. You're going to be meeting the ship. Yeah. Uh, and then we have this great scene between him and Spock. And despite the fact that, from what I understand, during the filming, there was some subterfuge against. Uh, Shatner himself, I like the scene. Like it's 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 it it draws the parameters of what we're going to see. I think really well. It's excellent uh, the, the because first, for the, character for character stuff, you know. Yeah, the, and there's a great choice very early on in this scene, and you'll see this again and again throughout the screenplay, where in dialogue we're asking questions and throwing barbs that. Uh, that are getting in front of what audiences and critics might say. Yeah, right. Particularly about the aging of the cast. Uh huh. So it's it it's it's shot. You know, it's it's Kirk and Bones are the first people to say, "What is this? Are they giving us a re- retirement party?" Party. Yeah. And you know, and again, and again, and again, it's just like people are going to say this. 
Let's get in front of it. It's yeah. like a spin. What a spin doctor would say to a politician. Yes. This is going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get in front of it's, it. It's very Robert De Niro wag the dog. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, you mentioned the return of Brock Peters as Admiral Cartwright. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't think Nicholas Meyer knew it because, I, I, as I understand, he literally went. Who was the admiral in the voyage home? Yeah, he's fine. We'll make him the villain. I think that was a, <laughs> that was that the was extent of it. Much thought as he put into it, but the fact that he picked Tom Robinson from To Kill a Bocking Mockingbird <laughs> means that there is an innate trustworthiness about this guy right. that makes yeah, it very true. hard to accept him as a villain. That's good. Yeah, that's actually that's pretty smart. I don't think I don't think it was intentional, but that's exactly how it plays because when you rewatch it. He spouts nothing but racist, yes. racist invective throughout the entire movie. They can't be trusted. He defer- he's, he's just like spouting the whole movie going, fucking Klingons, the yeah. fucking trashy Klingons with their fucking trashy faces. The best thing to do now is to destroy them. <laughs> so he's the most guilty and of, it's... of all of them. <laughs> well, and, and Myers is smart enough, too, to link him to, to Kirk because it's Kirk yeah. who says, you know, I got to agree with Admiral Car- Cartwright. And so it's a Magnum Force move, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you, you, you ally, you ally your hero. You know what I like about to it too is, is without ever kind of even cluing to the audience, it means that Cartwright might have just said that, thinking Kirk would agree, so yeah. that Kirk could be set up as the villain. Right. You know, it's part yeah. of his master plan, which I think is delightful. And you know, and you're fully aware that this man was wrongly convicted of uh, rape in the 60s so mm-hmm. you're you're just like just like i'm gonna i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt even though he yeah. keeps, keeps saying fucking trashy klingons the fucking trashy faces um well as i understand it i i kind of you know i i hinted at this a moment ago but from what i understand the one thing shatner was really mad about was he didn't want to say let them die in the sense of that's what mm. Kirk really means. He wanted to say, let them die and have Spock look at him. And he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. Like, give him a, that kind of look. And they cut mm. that look out. They filmed it, but they cut it out. Well, and apparently made... that really pissed him off. But but then, yeah, well, there would have been no no tension for the character tension. Exactly. For the rest of the film. But it, it, show, it, it, show, ev- it shows it how everything. Yeah, it shows how smart Nicholas Meyer is. Kind of that one shot would have ruined the entire film. Yeah, he shines him. He shines his actor on, and then does the opposite. But the, but these are things that the what we're talking about is is what makes this particular movie great for a second viewing. Right. Fantastic to rewatch because when you rewatch it, knowing Cartwright as the villain, you go, uh, yeah, it's sort of like. It's right in front of me the whole time. Right, right. Because <laughs> because he's the one bad mouth in the Klingons from second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's great. You know, when you're working within the freight, you know, I I I like to write mystery based stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you're working within that genre, the 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 kind of um, the tertiary pleasures of that genre is going back the second time and, and seeing how easy things. it was to figure yeah, how easy right. it was to figure out and how well the author concealed it from you. Yeah, and that's why allying making this movie ostensibly a mystery drama is such a good choice for making it a rewatchable movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we've gotten further than I think we usually do. <laughs> 
it's a very low bar, but yes, I'll give you that. <laughs> Why don't we take a break? I, I just, I, I don't want to get out of this scene without mentioning. Yeah, go ahead. I think they're saying that they're due to stand down in three months. Yes. Is the space equivalent of um, a week before retirement. Yeah. Right. In, in the police, in the police drama, right? Yes. So already we're, we're, we're becoming a police drama. <laughs> Just by that line. Shatner, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> That's great. I also, you know, I think three months also, like if this movie was a runaway $400 million hit, like maybe you could squeeze more, one more story in, in the, you know, their last yeah, month. No. You know? <laughs> It gives you a little enough time to have one more adventure, maybe. That's that's yeah. May, maybe he was talked down from a week. Yeah, exactly. By people who knew they wanted uh, they wanted to make generations. <laughs> that's great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're we're gonna meet Polaris uh, probably. Uh, that's exactly where we are. All right, right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. Here we are, back once again, talking Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, a 1991 movie, closing out the old cast, mostly, directed by Nicholas Meyer. <laughs> All right, Tom, as promised, uh, when we came back from commercial, we'd be talking Lieutenant Valeris, mm-hmm. who is essentially kind of supposed to be Savic, but is not. But that works to the film's advantage. I agree. I yeah, Because it, it, it's a double block. But you, she's so much like Savic that we accept that she's trustworthy when, once again, as with Admiral Cartwright, mm-hmm. everything she does makes her seem guilty yeah <laughs> um it's a double bluff and a really good one and it's using the idea of sequel surrogacy in a way that bolsters the mystery yes so i like it a lot i really like the the surrogacy aspect of the character in this movie i you know i was trying to think of other movies that are as successful yeah as this character is 
in its <laughs> surrogacy. And it's hard for me to come up with another one that's as good. Like I, you know, this is this yeah. is one of the tops. I, I, and Kim Cattrall's really great in the role. She's excellent. She is. She is. Um, I especially admire the way that she handles the kind of condescending nature of the Vulcans mm-hmm. in a way that begins to almost rankle Spock, who is the epitome of that. Yes, right, <laughs> right. And it's a very it's a very nice, you know, for people who, you know, have perhaps trained someone who's like a some generate, well, Vulcans, it'll be many, many generations younger because uh, they live like 200, 300 years. Right. Um, that, you know, each generation gets progressively more um, certain of themselves. Mm-hmm. At the expense of actually knowing anything about what they're <laughs> yeah, doing, right? Um, and so it's it works it works in that respect. Um, well, and I think but, it also there. I think there's a portion of it where, if you're the kind of person who's watching a movie but doesn't really pay attention to the names, I th- I think a lot of people would think that she just is Savic. Yeah. You know. Well, we I think we said before in the episode she, she's a she's a better recasting of uh, of Savic than. Robin Curtis. Yes. This is where they do the this is where they do the best Savic recasting. Yeah, absolutely. But they're doing it towards the story. Well, and it's interesting cuz like doing it in I, a self-aware yeah, way. they're doing it in a self-aware way, and I never thought that Robin Curtis is a bad actor. No. But when I see Kirstie Alley and I see Kim Cattrall bookended, yeah. They're different and better. Yes. Both yeah, of them. Yeah. You know, and so She's 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 pen, she's the Pentangeli in this equation. There that's you go. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> she's the Pentangeli to Kirstie Alley's Clemenza, and you won't hear that sentence ever again in the history of humanity. <laughs> I love as well. I I love as well in terms of like using her towards the you know the pleasures of the of the series. When we leave space dock, you know we get the usual revelry yep. of a ship leave, of a ship taking off that we get in the series. But, but we, we get see it through her eyes. Yeah, we get something similar to Star Trek Two, in which, uh, you know, Kirk is letting her take the ship out, and uh, yeah, but know, the camera is her is literally her perspective. Is her perspective right? And I think that was a really interesting choice because, again, you know. It's like, how do we do the same sequence differently mm-hmm. in a way that makes it dramatically interesting? And this is perfect. It's like yeah. the first time, you know, a crew member has experienced this and we just watch it through their eyes. Um, very, you know, very smart. Very, very smart. smart. And also, you know, adding to the uh, murder mystery of it all, we have a, <laughs> a, a moment in which Kirk is kind of. Uh, what self-explaining his foibles? He's literally saying, yeah. "I can't forgive the Vulcans for the death of my boy." And then, of course, lurking right. in the shadows is is Lieutenant uh, Valeris. So, yeah. So again, it's one of those things guilt- where it should be obvious. One, yes. she's the only person who could be the other traitor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, again. You could look at it as a sequel convention. You know, the the log is basically recapping the events of the third of the film, third film, for those right? Of us who 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 have forgotten a you know, it's like Star Trek Five has just erased that from our memory. <laughs> we don't know anything anymore except marshmallows are the, apparently now called marshmallows. The true legacy um, of the final frontier. It wipes your memory that, that, clean of all other movies. <laughs> but you know, 
I, I don't think we know at that point, but in in totality of the movie, it's a very important scene because yeah, it's the right. entire not only because Valeris is there and she's going to exploit it, but it's it's the reason why Kirk is the perfect fall guy for uh, the conspirators. Yeah. Um, but you're right, but and you're right as well. Like it, it's you could imagine. Shatner is kind of concerned about how his character's coming across because it's not a good look for him. Mm-hmm. It's not a good look for Kirk at all. No, Ra- race—you know—racism and revenge is what's motivating him. And but it's great. It's great character development. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because so you know, imagine imagine a character in in you know with what is it three seasons of television and then six yes. movies. Yes, and so. To be able to take that character and give him an arc that that matters narratively and is interesting, yeah. exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, to me, uh, again, like that's just uh, uh, one of the delights of a Nicholas Meyer kind of script. Like that's like you said, it like pay attention to the writing of this movie. Yeah, no, completely, completely. Uh, on a you know a slightly less lofty. Yes. Uh, observation. Uh, Shatner's makeup has not stood up to the rigors of high definition. <laughs> if you're watching this on Paramount Plus, you'll see that the pancake he's wearing only covers half of his wrinkles. Right. I do believe he also he also he was also suffering from the flu when he filmed this movie. All of it? I think so. Wow. Well, clearly in this scene, because his makeup artist has gone to town. Yeah. To to try and give him a kind of tan look, tanned look. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you can see that even in the original series. He doesn't have to have wrinkles for that. You know what I mean? Like you get a good... oh well, the original series is an entirely different proposition. Yeah. But this is high budget, well, medium to high budget filmmaking. Yeah, right. Um, it's something I would have expected more in the Final Frontier than than maybe this. All film. right, fine. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I gotta say, Spock has a bong. <laughs> right. We all know it's a bong. He could he can spin it as some kind of ancient Vulcan, Vulcan ritual or candle. Other. It's a bong. He's got a bong in his room. <laughs> uh, and then so like, again, like well, the way that this one of the great things about this film is how it plays with the conventions and pleasures of the series. Uh-huh. And I love how they hail the Klingon bird of prey. So it's like the beginning of the submarine drama. Uh-huh. But we're opening up communications. Yeah. So that's just a brilliant moment for me of like, of things are changing. Yes. Right. Think, well, but, but we know where this normally goes. It's not going to go this way this time. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, before before we get to that, because you're talking about the bong and the sh- like the sharing of the whatever it is that he's sharing with Valeris. Hits from the bong. Yeah. Hits from the bong. Um. <laughs> Hits from Spock's bong. You know, the 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 one thing that I think maybe some people might, uh, you know, kind of chatty Cathy back to this movie is, um, the, you know, it seems like there's some sort of long-standing relationship between Valeris and Spock, uh, mentor-mentee kind of yeah. thing, you know, that's going on for a long time, which, of course, we just don't know anything about. Right. Uh, but also in that scene, it, it seems like it's like that portion of their relationship starts to build. But mm-hmm. there's also some kind of like sexualized aspect to it for some people, I think. I'm just right. curious what you think about that. 
I think that first, well, to the first point, I think the fact that we've gone through this with him and Savick kind of takes care of all that i that that mm-hmm. backstory of how they might because you know we, we get the idea that that spock is you know well i think it also a... leads to why some people think she is savic <laughs> so yeah. yeah but but yeah it was true um but but it, either way it's sort of like you know spock is the is the kind of person who who is a mentor to mentor other to others who yeah. want to be in starfleet and remember he was like the first vulcan in starfleet so right I think that I think within the history of the canon and within the history of the film series and what we did with Savic, that all takes care of itself. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I'm going to reserve what I what I'm say about the sexualization of their relationship until the I mind melts. Comes... Yes, I think that is where I have the most issues. Is not the right word. It's another. It's another blowing up the Enterprise situation. Once you start, you can't stop. Mm-hmm with something but overall i it really is to me like you know the the student portraying the master okay. kind of yeah i think it works on that level perfectly i never need to look beyond that yeah no i i have always found it very interesting so i don't think that matters that she she's a woman and i think no. i think the fact that they resisted that urge with a with a, such a sexualized actress like kim Cattrall speaks well to everyone involved yeah all right because we've seen mannequin we know what oh we know we know what the eighties would do to an actor like Kim Cattrall. Well, Porky's as well, as you've covered on. Your yes, show. yes. This woman is sexually mistreated. Oh, she is in this movie. We'll talk about it later. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right, fine. And then, uh, of course, Kronos it is. Kang. Yeah, then it's it's time to meet. You know, guess who's coming to dinner? Oh my! I mean, and what a treat. I love everything about. I love everything about Kronos and Kronos and Kang. Oh, I love it. Uh, the fact they're played by two of the best actors in Hollywood history helps. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. David Warner and Christopher Plummer. Yeah. My God. my The star power of those two playing these roles. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, that, I mean, David Warner's earned it because like, he really didn't have much to do in Final Frontier. Mm-hmm. Um but also, again, like you know, it's a call. It, this movie's really good at calling back aspects of the original series that that have laid dormant in the film series, and they go back to the original design of the Klingons before they were rebooted in the motion picture. They look like original series Klingons, but you know, with with real makeup yeah. <laughs> and prosthetics, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we never. But the look is the same. I think that's very deliberate, and it's very it, for me. It's like. It's it's also great because they they uh, they represent something more suaver and more intelligent than the usual Klingons we're used to. Yeah, right. Both because of the actors that are playing the actors it that are playing them, of, and because of the characters they're playing who are highly educated. Educate. I was just going to say the dialogue that they speak, people, the yes. references that they're making, like you know, which is a very important distinction. Yes for this film to make. And also because we're dealing with a movie that um, has prejudice within the narrative of its storyline. Yeah. I think it's important uh, to show. Yeah. uh, You know, because Klingons in the past, a a lot of their representation has just been barbaric. Right. Right. You know? Um, Yeah. yeah, These are, he, you know, the, the the one who is a warrior is literate. And and I was just going to say, so like, like, you know, here, every time Chang speaks, I am delighted. 
well, because this is he's, the thing, like, because it's Christopher Plummer saying it, and he makes it sound amazing, you know? Not only is he literate, he's too literate, right? Yeah, yeah. Guy needs to stop <laughs> quoting Shakespeare. Dude needs to back off. Dude needs to back off Hamlet. To the point where one of the best lines in the movie, later on, where they're listening yeah, to him, well, quote Shakespeare ad nauseum. I pay real money. <laughs> to have him shut up. So the movie knows what it's doing. Yeah. It's also, I think this is... Basic, you know, we know that any time we get a Shakespeare quotation, Nicholas in the series, Nicholas Meyer is behind it. Yeah, right? right. So he is the sur- he is a surrogate for Nicholas Meyer in the movie. Sure, because he he's like a li- he's the literary quotation database, uh, and it's where it's like a perfect vehicle for Meyer to get his quotes quotes in the movie, mm-hmm. get the Shakespeare quotes in the movie. But story wise, of course, they're leaning on uh, certain plots of Shakespeare. Film, uh, Shakespeare plays as well, right? Uh, particularly the Scottish play. Yeah, um, it's a huge one with the two assassins who are killed, right? To conceal the to crime. conceal the crime, and yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. Um, and of course, this is where we talk about the undiscovered country. You know, it's the titles being said in the film, right. which is always a punch, punch the air moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. But it's also the most literate reference they right. could have. Right, so right, right, right. It's, 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 it's something that's going to that, satisfy everyone yeah, in the audience. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one of it's those that's, that's never going to bother me. Um, and again, but, you know, you know it's this... like you get you get some of these essential differences. You get the bigotry because when they leave dinner, you you got you have the Starfleet people talking about and that smell and this and that. Oh, and like I know. The, it's hard. It's the hard lack, to watch. The lack and of tolerance. So. And and I do think it's it's deliberate. Yeah. And it's hard to watch. And you know, I, there there is I think there is a difference which other Star Trek and other filmmaker and other kind of long running franchise filmmaking doesn't really always get right, which is you can you can darken your characters without sacrificing their characters right yeah. you can sort of say these characters you know our characters the our beloved characters can sometimes act below their best right that doesn't mean we don't love them anymore um and it doesn't mean you should write them off it gives them you know? some place to yeah. go and grow <laughs> right yeah jim jim phelps can be running the impossible you know the the impossible mission force uh, and just not do his job well, he doesn't have to be a murderer, like an evil, an evil murderer, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right. <laughs> it, that's as simple as it, it's it's smart, and you need to do you need to put wrinkles in there sometimes so that these characters stay interesting. Yeah, sure, but you don't need to. Well, and some of them know. work, and some of them don't. You try to add a relationship between Scotty and Aurora, and people go, meh. And especially because it was such a half-hearted attempt in the first place. Right. And that's another great example of Star Trek. You know, there's nothing in and of itself wrong with it, but we won't stop trying to pair people up romantically in the show from this point onwards. And that's, right. that's it's the precedent it sets that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is another great example of, you know, we're, we're not only using this fictional universe to represent what happened in 20th century earth politics we're actually talking about the precedent of 20th century earth politics yeah so when uh i can't remember if it's kang or kronos who starts talking about like you know the laban's hitler's laban's realm right finding space for the empire is that's when kirk says earth hitler 1938 yeah (laughs) um so it's like it's it's 
it kind of vacillates brilliantly between literally talking about political history and being a sci-fi being metaphor, a for, metaphor it. for it. Yeah, right, it's right, right. Everything has that double meaning, and that's such a tricky writing thing. Yeah. And so I'm always amazed that they get away with it so fluidly here. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's good writing. I agree. Um, now I get the sense because we're we're <laughs> we're at the assassination point. I know exactly what you're going to say. Carry on. <laughs> well, I get the sense that this is one of your least favorite parts of the movie. No, just uh, and uh, uh, certainly from a, an effect standpoint. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean... Is that what you thought I was going to say? What did you think I was going to say? That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. And let's put this in context. So, we've already said Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, looks like like Superman 4 Quest for Peace, Mm -hmm. right? It's that level of of effects. So, this is obviously more cutting edge than that. But it seems... What they're doing with CGI just seems to to be now looking at it, the low end of what can be achieved digitally. Yeah. Now, the, the, which is not to say at the time people didn't go, look at those floating pink gobule, blood, blood bubbles, of aren't they amazing? Blood. I just don't think I ever have. Like, I don't think, I guess, even at the time, I, I thought I don't that. think I did even at the time. I remember, yeah. you know, but I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that I always really appreciate about the scene is the moment gravity is restored. Yes! Because... I have that exact note. It saves everything to me. But And they don't do that. In, that's like, that's literally new. They don't do that in Star Trek. Yeah. What a great thing to throw in. Like, hey guys, if we ever messed about with gravity? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, no. It's like, that'd be kind of cool, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> Couldn't we make something Let's like have that? our assassins <laughs> enter with gravity boots. I also think it's funny that the, the the CGI blood is the same color as the titles. Yeah, except that the, it's the same well, pink. The star, it's a very period specific the, the pink. Start, the start of the titles, anymore. like okay. if you notice, the titles go from that kind of purple to Color-coded. pink yeah. to blue to green. <laughs> they kind of travel yeah. back and then come back again. But, um, but I'll and tell you this what, is, this, is this an, does ramp moment. up the murder mystery moment of it all because it really it's fantastic. It does with feel the masked assassin. Yeah, like the covert attack. The covert attack. All of that stuff works really well. I really dig that part of it. And it's in lieu of the kind of submarine drama that we're used to in these situations. Right. So it's, it, it, it's not only uh, it's not only moving into a different area generically. It's also challenging our expectations of what Star Trek is. Yeah. But replacing it with something equally gratifying in in a in a genre entertainment sense. Absolutely, it's not like you know they suddenly became like, I don't I don't know I don't know how you sort of fuck that up. But <laughs> to me, you know, it's like I, I I love watching submarine movies as much as I love watching Agatha Christie murder mysteries. Sure. Right? So you're appealing to the same different demographic, and you're getting both in one, right? <laughs> you're getting both, and you you're making Star Trek more interesting. Yeah. So I, I just, I think I love it. I love uh, Cronus's last moments, his plea to Kirk. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful piece of writing, both politically and dramatically. Uh, we haven't mentioned, but obviously Next Generation is in full force at this point. Yeah. With a much more utopian, uh, pacifistic view of space relations. And so this, whereas the previous movie, Final Frontier, was pretty much the brief was, stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. Like, next generation's on, you do your thing, stay out of our way. Yeah. 
there's way more interplay between the two here. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah, is where yeah, I get yeah. a real sense of that. That um, it's really interesting. <laughs> like I say, Star Trek Five was like stay in your lane. Uh, they did try and solve some of their budget problems by filming on the set of The Next Generation and occasionally stealing some of their props <laughs> when they forgot <laughs> to build some. That's or amazing. But you know, this uh, one, the, the moment we forgot too, I want to ask you because you're you're uh, you know more of a a Trek file than I am. I think uh, yeah. the moment where he surrenders. Because that's like center frame, camera moving in on Kirk. We surrender. Yeah. And somebody, you know, like... That's great. It's a perfect inversion. Ha- had that ever happened before? Um, I mean, probably not as... Not in that way? Specifically. Okay. I mean, it, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you got a different, you've got a different person writing the show every week. Some yeah. of whom have never seen right. the show before. I'm sure it's happened. But I would guess the norm of Star Trek is that, you know, we, we, we fight... We fight to keep the Enterprise. We don't give we up. We don't surrender. It's certainly a sense that this is new territory. Yeah. Like we're we don't quite know why, but we're in the wrong here. Yeah. Well, Which but is, I also love. I you know I love. Before he does board the ship, I love everything that Kirk says. You know, we're not going to be the instigators of full scale war on the, yeah. on the night of uh, whatever it is, interplanetary peace, or. Uh, uh, yeah. And this is, it's, it's shortly after that that, well, first of all, Spock becomes captain, which yes, is, you know, right. a big deal in world. In world. But but then, but he simultaneously also becomes Sherlock Holmes. Yes. At exactly the same moment. Well, and also so, there's the great moment because when you go back for repeated viewings, you get to see something you didn't see the first time or pick up on the first time in terms of. Uh, You're talking about the Meridian patch. Yeah, about how yeah. Kirk's going to get back. And so, you know, yes. again, it's just again, yeah, one of those smart making things. Making it rewatchable. Making it yeah. rewatchable. Um, and, it, it, you know, this is this is fascinating because in terms of the next generation, because, you know, they've already had episodes of that show in which, recurring episodes in which Data plays Sherlock Holmes in the Holosuite. And so it's tying into that, but... Again, obviously, it's it's telling us that this has become a detective story. Yeah. In the clearest way possible by making... Well, Spock actually quotes Sherlock Holmes, uh, which mm-hmm. he describes as one of his ancestors, which I think is a brilliant... <laughs> again, like, everyone wants to claim the, yes. good, the good parts of, of whatever culture for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but it's brilliant because generically you know where this is going. It's going to be a detective story for at least the next fifteen minutes. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. While we simultaneously have the the Pakula because we're going to have a courtroom drama, followed right. by Which, again is is more sort of ingrained in Star Trek. They love putting Kirk yeah. on trial, but. Obviously, in light of this movie, which is clearly a you know like a law and order crime and punishment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because we're going to get our prison drama too. Yeah. So um, we get we get the, uh, simultaneously we get we get the court followed by the prison drama yeah. while yeah. Spock is is doing his Agatha Christie bit over both of them and Chekhov. Yeah, yeah. Doing a less his less good Sherlock Holmes act. Right. Which well, is, and is throwing always, us off the scent. The comedic Valeris... borderline of this movie for me. Really? I've, I've, I will. We'll talk about that when we get there. Okay. But right now, I want to talk about the Klingon ambassador walking straight out of the voyage home and coming straight, straight back, back in. into the into as the if courtroom. no time has passed. 
he's he's in the he's sort of picking up the same tirade. Yes. That he left Voyage Home saying. <laughs> he he comes back and he's like, "It's Kirk. I told he he could have said, I How told many you. times have I had to tell you this renegade asshole is responsible for everything?" It's another tick in the column of the quadrilogy in my in It my, is. Uh, it absolutely it, is. But we also get uh, the connection of to uh, the next generation. Because we get uh, Commander Worf. Yeah. Yes. Who is one of uh, Walks? Yeah. There's there's much more. And but I guess it's, it's supposed it's, to be his what great 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 grandfather or something. Uh, probably not even that much. I great great. Probably gra- he could he could conceivably be the grandfather. It's only like eighty to a hundred years. Okay. Um, has elapsed. Um, I mean McCoy is alive in the pilot of Next Generation. generation. Yeah. Um. But that's great, and the fact that he's defending the humans in the Klingon Empire, I think, is a is a brilliant touch. Yes, I mean, I think I Mike Michael Dorn and Worf, one of the greatest characters of characters and performances of Star, Star Trek. Trek. So I'm always happy to see him. I think he's used really well here. He is, and also they're not putting too much on it. It doesn't feel fan servicey, right? Uh, and it really could have because Next Generation is way more of a hit than it was when Final Frontier came out, mm-hmm. but. It's a it's a it's a chronological illusion that actually that both makes sense and is compelling mm-hmm. uh, and works for the story. It's not disrupting anything. I'll tell you the other thing they do that I like. I mean, it's a small thing, but there there are there are a couple of movies that I think about when you're talking about any kind of foreign language being spoken. <laughs> and the previous year is one of them in Hunt for Red October. And the other yeah. one is this movie. You know, Hunt, Hunt for Red October, there's a Russian officer speaking Russian, and then this camera zooms up, zooms in on his lips, and he starts speaking English, and it zooms back out. And to me, it's just delightful. It's magnificent, yeah. It's one of the great moments. Great, of, um, great, great filmmaking. And in this this movie yeah. has the same thing. I love hearing... Not as successfully. Oh, I, I don't think it's as successful, but... It I, raises more questions than it answers about the Universal Translator. Considerably more. No, I mean, come on. It's you know, he's speaking Klingon and but how how can Kirk answer the question before it's been translated? I mean, I know it's well, I know course, it's like Cronus's but... Perry Mason moment. That's that's a character thing. That's just Chang but being you impatient. You literally can't understand what's being said. Yes, I know, but <laughs> but that's just Chang being an asshole. That doesn't have anything to do with it anything other than that. Cronus is like, dead by this yeah. point. Okay. Um, um, but I just I love hearing like you know seeing the people in the booths doing the translating and them listening, and yeah. and then when you go back he's speaking English. That part of it I think is great. Yeah, I mean they they overcomplicate it and and they raise more questions than they answer. Especially I, I would say less here, although that moment is you know they wanted a Perry Mason moment to quote Alex Jones. Um, which I will never do again. Gonna, well, what? And, <laughs> and, and I urge you to cut that out. I hope. I hope. I hope when this comes out, all you hear is, and you're like, "What was that?" Get that because... gum out of your mouth. <laughs> it's gauze. It's gauze, Judge. Um, you want to see it? But when you think, of, but when you stand back and think about it, you go, "Hang on, that doesn't make a lick of sense." But when they get to the penal colony, that's when it breaks down. You're like. Uh, right. okay, this changes everything that I thought the Universal Translator was. But, I mean, you're at, you're right in the sense of, like, at least they 
deal with it. Like, yeah. norm- normally it's like an unspoken rule of Star Trek. It's like, there's a universal translator and ask no more questions about how that works. <laughs> All right. Um, at, least, at least they're asking questions. They're just not answering them. Well, I'll tell you um, what. Uh, why don't we take a break and then we'll come back to the penal colony. Well, I, I, yes. I, let me, let me, yeah. Let me just say, this is another great example of, of going back to what Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan did, mm-hmm. and what they're doing here with the rapid aging of the cast. Yeah. They question McCoy's competence due to his aging. Yes. Oh, I love. I, I love that. Actually, I mean, yeah, we haven't fully talked about the trial. I mean, because everything in that moment, it, it, what I like about the trial itself is that. As, as the viewer, you know there's a foregone conclusion. It's not a yeah. fair trial. and It's a damn show trial. It's a show trial, but what you can see is the frustration through McCoy of of knowing that and not being able to fully... Like, I don't know everything about Klingon anatomy, yeah. so it's unfair for you to judge me on how quickly I tried to fix him as compared to if I fixed up a, a human person who was almost dying. And then, the, the, oh, I have a, a question for you. Think, there is a moment where he thinks he's going to joke his way out of this. And yeah. that's also a great acting moment. It is great. Like, the dawning realization of, oh, you know, I might get away with this. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm going fucked. to die. <laughs> <laughs> and how about and just, uh, James Tiberius? We didn't talk about that. Did we know Kirk's middle name until that moment? Uh, you, I, I, I'm not enough of a Trek file to okay. know that. I don't think so. There's nothing better than I listening to cha- Plummer. I think it's gone back and forth as to what that T was. Uh-huh. But I do want to remind you that in terms of consistency, uh, Kirk said he didn't have a brother in the last movie. And uh, he, he's got a brother. He watched his brother die. But so <laughs> let's not attribute too much to what they say in these films. Well, it's true. As to what happened. Does, doesn't that mean it's true? He doesn't have a brother anymore? <laughs> yes, that's I'm sure what Shatner would say as an excuse yes. as to why they got that wrong. Well, I love all of it. I love all of you know. I love the James T. I love his description of how yeah, I disobey dis- I I disobey direct orders sometimes. That's that's it. Violating chain of command yeah. is like is the heart of the prosecution's argument. Yeah, and that is why I think this is a quadrilogy. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, because even I would put him in jail at that point. Yeah, exactly. See, I right? I, I always feel it's bad. Not a Klingon thing. I always feel bad for McCoy, and I always think, yeah, Kirk should go to jail. It's like they say it's a damn show trial. I'm like, I don't know. Klingon justice seems to be to be working perfectly well. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, our heroes are gonna go to jail, and when we get back, we'll have a chat about that and the rest of this movie, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, right after this. Animan. Oh, yeah. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, 
But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. We're back once again, everyone, finishing up with Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. All right, we're in jail. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a mining colony, a penal colony, and a jail. All, all rolled, rolled into, into one, one with a lot of freedom to walk around. <laughs> <laughs> and bunk face beds. It, it's this film's. It's this film's excuse for a weird alien yeah. parade. At least we don't have to go to a space bar to get exactly to, to, to find it, yeah. right? <laughs> and as you as you hinted on our way out to, to commercial, we get Iman. Iman, uh, good God! How do you feel about Iman? I just always remember thinking, "Good God, she is beautiful." Oh yeah, yeah. Even with her yellow eyes. Uh, this might surprise you, but. I think she's really effective in this part. I think I, th- I think so too. No, it doesn't surprise me at I all. Think I agree with possibly you. Possibly all the odds. Yeah. I mean the the Bowie connection helps establishing her as an alien. Mm-hmm. But she also has these kind of Grace Jones quality. Which I was just going to ask you: Does she work better in this movie than Grace Jones does in A View to a Kill? As an alien, <laughs> but I think it's it's her Grace Jonesness that also helps. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think it, yeah, I think it kind of works. Uh, I think she's maybe one of the best things about the colony. Um, she is. I, I'm ambivalent about this part of the movie. This is this. I'm is not ambivalent, work. but it's, uh, you know, we're Hits not. and misses when you get to the colony. I yeah, think. I mean, there's just there's not enough there. Uh, to it's awfully late in the film to be going there. Yeah. And and it's and we're not there for long, because it, well, it's it's longer, built... but longer than we should be compared <laughs> to the the other the other kind of crime and punishment elements of the movie feel organic in a way that this doesn't. Mm. I'd say because I it, mean, the prison movie is so, so its own thing. You kind of need to have a whole movie around it. Yeah, right. To work. And that's the thing you need is to that build that world, and they don't have the time. They don't have the time really to the do interest it. Interest in building that world. Uh, Having said that, and 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 confined to the constraints of their story, like I think it it comes off okay. There's some good stuff in there. I, to me, the biggest problem is plausibility. The way they set up this place. Well, because that's Kirk, what I was going to say. Kirk they, and McCoy would be dead as soon as they hit the surface of the planet. Yeah, and they set they <laughs> they set they set the the prison colony up as an inescapable place and they're gone like 10 minutes later. Right. Um, but also I'd say, I think, I think they would struggle in the TOS era to survive this colony. The right. idea that these men who were three months away from retirement, retirement yes. and let's say in real life, a good 10 years past retirement, um, 
are going to be able to handle any aspect of this is just ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, given that the film is so good at incorporating the aging of the cast into the story, this is where it feels like we're just got to conveniently forget that these guys literally could handle no aspect of this experience. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie does the best it can to let Kirk still be a fighter like he is in the original series. Well, he without smokes it... that space joint, and that seems to give him, like, yeah. the energy he needs to survive. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, it's... But it, again, it, it's just one of those things where there, there's no way you can't struggle with that because of the age yeah. of the actors and... But also, you know, I think they do make some, generally do make some bad choices. There's a lot of anti-trans humor here that I think mm-hmm. should be combined, you know, confined to the garbage dump of film history. Sure. Uh, as it, you know, a lot of early 90s movies have this specific problem, which is yeah. distressing. But, you know, historically, it's predictable. That... It's predictable and of the time. Yeah. But still, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I th- I'd like to think, of course, it's not always, but I like to think Star Trek is above that sort of thing. Right. Uh, at least, you know, at least when they make those mistakes, I, I, I like to think that it's out of naivety, but this seems more directed humor. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, you know, trying to make fun of trans people. So, yeah. uh, I don't like it. Um, the, I don't... Uh, the, the Kirk versus Kirk thing, it's a callback to a TOS episode. It is, it, it but... It doesn't really... But it's, it's a bit of a... Bit of a damp squib. It's it's also where we get some an awful lot of ham from him personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just uh, it kind of it, it just falls a little flat. It falls it falls a little flat. I mean, it's nice to see. But I think... this scene also has one of my favorite lines when he actually kisses Amon, and then <laughs> she goes away, and McCoy leans up on his bunk and says, "What is it with you anyway?" Well, Which is a great is the... reference to the entire series, you know, because the, yeah. the big oh, yeah. joke is yeah. that, you know, Kirk is dipping his wick into just about anything he can. And so that to me is self-aware and funny in a way that I, I, I always, it always gets a laugh out of me. And because Nicholas Meyer is Nic- Nicholas Meyer, you know, when, when there's an opportunity for great character work, even here, it doesn't really matter that this is that the prison aspect of it doesn't really matter whether that's working or not. Yeah. You know, it's still Kirk and McCoy talking to each other great you know just great scenes between they talk about kobayashi maru mm-hmm. they talk about being afraid of the future yeah and this is where i'm like oh if they'd have only stopped here mm-hmm. like if only this was the last time we saw kirk and mccoy for that matter right um i just feel like this is perfect right this is yeah. this is and it's also you know it, in its way it's doing what star trek 4 did which was to sort of address questions posed in wrath of khan yeah uh or imagery again it's like how is kirk gonna deal with aging this is a follow-up to that well in the very end of it it shows that kind of authorial continuity that the same person wrote yeah the the first part of that story and we've also been talking about the mix of, of genres within this movie and i like the button on the prison scene because you know, they have guns drawn or phasers drawn on McCoy and, sh- and then 
Kirk and Kirk says something. Well, why don't you at least tell me what what it is you're doing? Well, since you're going to die anyway, why don't I go ahead and tell you? And then they're beamed aboard. He's like, why couldn't you have waited just to say he was going to tell us the whole thing? And that's a pretty good joke about, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, the the in joke of genre and that kind of yeah. and, and, and it's how murder films. mystery it's good murder mystery writing yeah. isn't it yeah it's the guy who's about to tell you who the murderer is and then he's poisoned and he can't finish right. the sentence right. you know and it's very done very in a very self aware way and it gets away with the you know the big coincidental nature of it yeah uh, and it's very funny when he gets back on the bridge and he's pissed yeah. <laughs> just like we saved your life would you like me to he's... take put you back yeah. he's like ah it's a, frankly a with some Frankly, we're survived. We're surprised you're still alive. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I would say I think I was I was I was saying before. I, I mean, the 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 back half of this movie, it's just it, it goes back and forth in terms of quality a little bit. Uh, and the the comedic borderline for me, like as in having seen this many many times, I both like and don't like it in different viewings. Mm-hmm. Is uh, when check is when Chekhov, yeah, when Chekhov, <laughs> when Chekhov does his own uh, version of, of Spock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's the comic sidekick version. Yeah. Because he's getting it all wrong. Because he gets and, it wrong. And I can, you're sort of like, and I'm sort of like, mm, it's a little bit like, you know, the, they make, always make the joke on ABCDTOS about the, the joke at the end of the episode. There's always like a lame joke that ends and it's always accompanied by do 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 and that's how you know it's a bad joke. Right. And it's a little bit like that but also I, I sort of kind of like it because it feels like he's he's Watson to Spock's homes and it's It does feel like, like he's those... Watson and I also kind of like I think I think what you gravitate to uh in liking it is his performance because of uh how arrogantly he and how yeah. smugly and proud he is of of his yeah. discovery. But you know, the, the the it reminds me of of and and I I know this is not an accident because Nicholas Meyer is writing it and he knows his literature. Uh, it reminds me of scenes from the Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. stories where where Holmes will just you know uh, he'll let Watson do some detective work and then he'll just shit all over it. <laughs> right. It's like um, not so and, gently know, remind him why he series, messed everything up. It's another way in which Chekhov is the whipping boy of the series. Yeah, He's yeah. either being injured or humiliated. <laughs> uh, in this case, kind of both. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. As, so, like, I go back and forth on that. The, the the most egregious one, the most egregious backfire, backfiring comedy in this movie is the scene where Uhura suddenly doesn't know how to speak Klingon. Yeah. Because it's not particularly funny and it completely portrays what we know about her character and undermines her professionalism. Mm-hmm. And it's not that well executed as, yeah. a, as a comedic beat. So, lose-lose there. Don't like the anti-trans humor. 50-50 on Chekhov as, what, as, 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 bad, as <laughs> right. bad homes. Um, and don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose we should mention Christian Slater. Have we covered it's everything so that funny you say that. It's so funny you say that because we've we're, talked about it already. We're, I mean, we're about to get should... to the final portion of of the movie, and Christian Slater popped in my, into my mind, and I my thought was worth mentioning again. Eh. <laughs> I guess not. I guess it, I mean, but nothing suffice to, say, to say, he does make an appearance. It's, yeah. 
It's just because he's a fan. He literally is just waking up Sulu, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From, from, <laughs> for, for those listening at home, from what I understand, he never cashed his check. He framed it because he's such a fan. He would have been a better cameo in Star Trek V. They could have saved themselves some money, right? <laughs> Spent more money on that satellite. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, with the you like before they get picked up by the Enterprise, Kirk and McCoy. There's these vast wasteland walking shots, and it just feels a little bit lump, like we're lumbering towards the end of the movie, <laughs> which is is never a good look for Star Trek. It, but it's <clears throat> definitely not a good look for a for a mystery, you know. Right for something which you, I you, I, I you think keep uh, interest in yeah literally I think it's um hey listen we wherever they went to Greenland or wherever they filmed yeah th- those shots uh listen we spent the money to get here we're gonna show you some of of where we went right you right. know and try to make it worth our while it's interesting there's like callbacks and call forwards you know the uh, Kirk versus Kirk does an episode of TOS like that uh-huh. uh what Iman or Marta, Martia, whatever she's called in in a, she's sort of looking forward to Odo and the changelings from Deep Space Nine, the mm. shape shifting. Um, Star Trek never forgets an idea, I guess, as well. Like early nineties morphing technology, that's also yeah, what we're showing off here, and that's where Odo comes from right. as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, as all we talked about, you know, the Scottish play, the two assassins. Mm-hmm. They're also two of the worst actors I've ever seen in any film. Those two guys. <laughs> when they are alive. <laughs> like, I've seen non-actors in Star Trek do a better job than these two guys. Yeah. It really... Like, bad performances really stand out in Star Trek. You know what I mean? At least in the film. <laughs> um, well, I, and I think we're... Because we're wrapping up the, the murder mystery. So we get the mind meld. Oh. Uh, so, okay, here's what I have to say about this. Spock's moment of anger, I think, is Leonard Nimoy's best piece of acting in the entire series. Nice. Might even be TOS. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of great Spock in TOS. Spock is usually the best thing about every episode, episode. of the original Star Trek. But I think I, I can't remember a moment where he's literally playing with all the dimensions of the character at once. Mm-hmm. Like, you see it all happening the human side the vulcan side the you know the aging mentor yeah like uh, how he feels about disappointment yeah and betrayal betrayed i love that kirk and mccoy are in the shot yeah like they're not stealing they're not pulling focus but they're in the shot yeah because that dynamic is you forget that like it literally is a triangle like kirk Yeah. Kirk is, you know, Bones. As and, the last uh, movie reminded us. Yeah, Bones and Bones and McCoy are two sides of Kirk. Yeah, but Bones and Kirk are two sides of, of Spock. Yeah, uh, as well, and that framing it that way reminds us that way. Mind melding as a as an interrogation technique. Again, it's another callback. It's a TOS classic. Mm-hmm. But it in this instance, it's represented as mind rape. Which is kind of, no, I'm not saying it's okay in general. I'm saying in this context, it kind of works because it, you know the the discomfort and the idea of going too far. Yeah, is what gives us the, is is what gives the, the dramatic well, and I, tension. I, and yeah, it gives the, it gives it dramatic tension. And I, 
you know, it 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 does feel um, violent. Yeah. Um, it's meant to feel uncomfortable, and it, it's but it's meant to, to be that way. And also, and it's I, not spark, it's I, not I think I think it, it, I think it goes uh, further uh, because of the great acting that Kim Cattrall's doing in the moment. Oh. You know, like she's right. She's just killing it. And again, I think the problem is that future Star Trek writers would take this moment. I think they got away with it here mm-hmm. because of the context. But if, but I mean. Counselor Troy in Next Generation spends the back half of Next Generation getting mind raped every other episode. Every other episode. Yeah. I think I think this is something they're like, oh, we can use this as a st- as a plot device, mm-hmm. and they never stop doing it. Yeah. But in this moment, I think I mean it's push it's pushing it because it, it's you know, if you think about how much Kim Cattrall has been exploited sexually in cinema, it's mm-hmm. like it's like oh, I kind of wish we didn't go there, but. I think in context it just works. I agree, uh, but yeah, again they just won't let go of it, and that's when it becomes offensive. In the repeated tropic use of it, yeah, that's when it becomes offensive. I love the fact. I mean, my my uh, like Nicholas Meyer knows his crime literature because we've because Spock starts off as Sherlock Holmes and he ends up as Philip Marlowe. Right. <laughs> he starts yeah. speaking in this hard hard boiled detective dialogue when he says. I've been dead before. Yeah. Well, that's such a, such a Philip Marlowe, Sam Spade line. <laughs> it's good. I just, I love it. And I've got to think that's all deliberate, right? Oh, I, I mean, think so. Meyer is a literate Meyer is guy. such a literate, yeah. And he obviously, the Sherlock Holmes is overt. I think this is, this is not as overt, but it's, it's definitely feels like post 1930s. Well, we, we kind of started this episode talking about the great one liners yeah. And and in here is the moment where Kirk says, you know, Spock, let me tell you something. Everybody's everybody's human. Everybody's a little yeah. bit human. And, and his again, response still, yeah. is just, you know, like an all timer. I, I find that remark insulting. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's amazing. It also it's also a testament to how like Maya's script has a deft way of combining the sci fi particular with the universal commentary. Mm-hmm. Like like the fact that both the fact that that line is you know is spoken from a position you know it's a humanist point of view mm-hmm. that's being expressed here it's a human centric point of view and it's also called out by Spock who's like you know there's more than humans in the galaxy right right you are like one species in this massive galaxy yeah um Though I I think you know we've had some kind of wonky moments in the second half with the penal colony and some stuff that just doesn't really work, uh, but then the movie climbs back to its uh, former glory to, yeah. in these last ten fifteen minutes in a way that is uh, spectacular, even for this series. Even for this, yeah, it's so satisfying, um, because we get our battleship moment. Like, the, the movie's been kind of, like, deferring this pleasure of us getting... And it's kind of, I'd say, the best one in the whole series. I think so, too. Two ships firing on one? Yes. Come on. Mark that I explosion mean, and fire. <laughs> doing surgery on a torpedo? Yeah. Christopher Plummer shouting Merchant of Venice quotes? Mm-hmm. Willy-nilly? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, in the Not meantime, Mark, target, target that explosion and fire. But and then, I also, you know, 
You know, because you had the surgery on the bomb. You have that moment where he says, I'd pay real money if he'd shut up. And he, you know, Chang, Christopher Plummer is just throwing out Shakespeare left and right. Yeah. And when Kirk finally gets what he wants and McCoy says, she's ready, Jim. And the moment where the camera pushes in on him and he clenches the fist and says, fire is amazing. It's it kind of feels like if like there's the equivalent of the you know the the final episode the final few episodes of Deep Space Nine where you know it's like this is our chance to do a space battle mm-hmm. right this is this is our window and it feels like the same here it's like you know we got to get we've got to do something that one you've never seen before and two is is everything you've seen before yeah <laughs> but in a way you've never seen it before right. And they and they just deliver on that, and that's not even well, the end they of the deliver movie. on they deliver on that that idea of you know a captain and his shipmates yeah. uh, at the end of their rope using their wits yeah uh, to outsmart the enemy and 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 foil the crime essentially yeah. you know what I mean yeah and, it, and it so it satisfies it... on all levels for 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 like every genre that the movie is it satisfies <laughs> on all levels. But that's it, because, you know, we're already cross-cutting into the... We're consolidating the political thriller yeah. side of this with, you know, the assassin in the rafters straight out of the Manchurian Man- Yeah, right, exactly. Or, you know, the dead zone, I guess, which itself is, I guess, a bit of a Manchurian candidate. The parallax, uh, this whatever. Parallax view, yeah. View. We're playing our genre references on the sleeve in a very satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I mean, this the, this this scene at the at the kit, you know, Kidama, which, believe it or not, is a name you'll hear quite often in future Star Trek properties. <laughs> is that right? The Kidama. Oh, records. before before you go on, yeah. I also want to talk because we 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 were talking earlier about how great uh, the look of Captain looks on Sulu, and yes. there's that moment where they're trying to catch up and and get to yeah. Enterprise, and I love that moment when. Uh, uh, you know, the whoever it is says, uh, you know, she's she's going to fly her apart. He says, then fly her apart. Yeah. You know, where he's 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 taking no guff. He's like, you do exactly what I told you. I'm your captain. I don't care if the ship flies apart. Do it. They, and it's great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we we kind of we, we were I, I, I speaking for you, but I think we were OK with the last film being more like central trio centric yeah right then then perhaps other mm-hmm. star trek movies would be but in this movie it feels like everyone it, every member of the crew is useful yes i mean you know ahura saves the day mm-hmm. after you know the ridiculous nonsense from before <laughs> right. bones bones you know uses his surgical skills to modify the torpedo yeah sulu returns to help them out of loyalty disobeying orders pulling a real jim kirk yeah it's like well both the both the character both the character of the character matters well and that's the christian slater part but also the cat but also the characters themselves like like all of like they're all part of a jigsaw puzzle here in Mm -hmm. a way that you know literally they could have all sat out final frontier it could have just been those three guys on the ship (laughs) it would have made no difference um, but here it really feels like they're not artificially just thinking about, well, how does Bones fit into this? How mm-hmm. does Uhura fit into this? 
And I think it's I think it's excellent. Well, and Nicholas Meyer, I mean, he gives everybody their moment, but not yeah. in a way, not in a, like you said, not in a way that feels superficial. It feels uh, yeah. organic and important to the narrative and 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 fit like literally every every one of those moments fits like a key yeah. into a lock. And it doesn't cut away to Zulu, to Sulu saying that's got to hurt or anything like that. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's just. Uh, um, but I do like that, you know, we because we mentioned uh, Christian Slater earlier and and you were just saying, yeah, why like, are you mentioning him again? I, well, he dis, I, I, he disobeys that, you know, he disobeys his direct yeah, 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 order yeah, by yeah. saying, uh, you know, tell 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 uh, whatever, tell Earth. Uh, we have no idea where Enterprise is, sir. It's like you got a hearing problem, mister. So it's another great Sulu moment of fuck off. I said what I said and get out of here. If you tell but the story it's... from the, the Klingon perspective, uh, it makes Starfleet look pretty bad. Yeah, right. There is a real disciplinary problem, right? Yes. But it's, what's interesting about it is it's, you they know... They keep promoting people it, who are prone to rebellion. But it speaks to character because it speaks to, you know, Sulu did learn something from Kirk. Yes. Absolutely. That's, so, that's the implication. And that's it, what it's, works. It's, it's beautifully done. It just doesn't It doesn't work as a as a fictional world. And there's a really delicious moment when the assassin just barely misses with the ray sniper gun mm-hmm. because Kirk tackles the ambassador to the floor. And there's kind of a hard cut to the floor and you get Kirk Enterprise. Yeah. It's like Very a Saturday morning cartoon moment that <laughs> delights me every time I see it. Yeah. And hear it. Yeah, and I mean this is this is this is a huge this is a huge scene, whichever way you cut it. It ends in a Klingon peace accord. And we talked about how Voyage Home wrapped up three films worth of storytelling. Well, I'd argue mm-hmm. that the way this scene ends wraps up the entire TV and film series yeah, so far. I agree. And it's a story point from which the franchise grows. So once the Klingons and Federation make peace that takes Star Trek into a new phase of storytelling. Yeah. So it's just, it, you know, another reason why this should really be the end point for any kind of storytelling, because it's not, because it, you know, if you just let it happen and acknowledge it, you can tell all kinds of new stories and they do. Yeah. They also tell stories involving these characters that they don't need to tell. Um, I, I, I guess so. We've we've talked about what a great move it was to you know make Brock Peters the villain. Uh, we just because we talked about it before, I do want to pay lip service to, you know, black people are always the most racist people in Hollywood cinema. <laughs> like if they get a chance to make a black person racist, they will. Right. And then they think they're they're being anti-racist by doing that. Right. <laughs> if you make a black person racist in a sci-fi context, that is the equivalent for white people of anti-racism. <laughs> but it's also in keeping with a with a franchise which, you know, decided to discuss segregation by painting half of Frank Gorshin's face white and black. Like Right, right. That's the level they're working at. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's all I just wanted you know, I didn't want people to think that I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand. Um, decommissioned. Yeah, second star to the right and straight on till morning. You know, it's the end of the original series era that ends with one final act of insurrection. 
it's really a tribute to the rogue legacy of this series, isn't yeah. it? That it ends with them plainly disobeying orders. Bye. <laughs> to hell with them. Uh, it's funny that it ends as the motion picture does. Yeah. Right with them. I mean, well, a few of these movies end with them setting off into space. Yeah. And then, then the rest of the movie to me is all about convention culture. Yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. Because first we get that autograph of autograph autographable wide image of the bridge. Right. <laughs> Could literally freeze frame, <laughs> take that to a convention, and everyone signs their name. <laughs> Right? right, I mean that's that's clearly what that image is all about. Then you get autographs in outer space, <laughs> and this, but this, it's kind of like the final few lines of this this movie that that it, it's such an official passing of the gauntlet to n- the next generation. To next generation, yeah. By him saying another crew will be on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no need. There was no need for anything else. It's perfect. Yeah. You know. Either either don't say this and then do generations, or say this and don't do generations. There's no in between as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the signatures in the credits, I mean, it you know it's such it's such a con- it's you know you need to under- you need to have experienced or at least know about Star Trek conventions for this to make any sense as to why we're doing this. <laughs> I love the fact that you cannot tell whose name is who. No, yeah. And, and until we get to William Shatner. Until you get because, to Shatner, right. Because the TOS musical sting comes over him. <laughs> it's like, this guy's the real star of all this. Um, him and Nimoy. You can you know Leonard Nimoy's when it comes up. but Oh, yeah, but... No, I mean... Everybody else, I'm like, who's is that? What? <laughs> well, Leonard Nimoy is the, is the real star of Star Trek. But William Shatner contractually will not let that happen. Yes. <laughs> that's the difference <laughs> um and then you know, i just have a couple of credit checks and yeah, you have sure. anything else to say no um, no i that's the end of my notes i mean i just i you know every time i watch this movie i relish in it i i love it it's so much fun yeah i mean overall i'd say there's just there's two or three sequels really it is about is two the, the second half is is a bit more inconsistent than the rest of the movie, than some of the other movies in the series. Mm-hmm. There's one or two sequences that don't quite work, and that's it. The rest of it is out on a limb brilliant. Yeah. Um. I just have a couple of credit checks. Go. We're already way into the credits with the signatures. Right. Um. Shatner got his own makeup artist. Of course uh, he did. I don't think that guy did a very good I was, job. I was going to say, <laughs> probably got fired right because after, I, right? Because one of my earlier notes is about how bad his makeup was. Yeah. <laughs> or at least he didn't have a makeup artist who could account for HD in the future. Um, <laughs> there's, a cre- there's a credit here. Jackal Mastiff created by... And uh, I think created is generous. They put a fur coat on a dog. Right. With a single fang. <laughs> With a single fact, I, think I like harkens... the look of those dogs, though. I don't. I don't think this is an intentional callback, but it harkens back to the beginning of one of the very first episodes of the original series, where they had quote the alien, which was a dog with a with like a unicorn's horn stuck on it. <laughs> so again, consistent with the roots of the series, but I don't think intentionally so. Okay, fine. 
That's it. Oh, that was it? Oh, yeah. Well, all right then. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think of Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country? We, we are fans. I think we both have this third on our lists Yeah. Uh, in the series. But with we want to know what of, you with think. With a little bit of editing, it could have been a perfect film. Yeah. So uh, you're going to have to find us. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next, we're going to be pitching sequels. What do you do after you see the signatures of the actors in space? Do Besides you go making on? generations. <laughs> so. And never... And... And never stop making more Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we are bound by no rules and we have our time machine. So stay yeah, tuned right. for our next episode to find out. And then you'll get to vote on that. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I gotta say, you know. The, That's despite... a band name. Kneecap Genitals. The uh, I don't like the anti-trans framing of that sequence, but I do like that. I I, I like that schoolboy humor moment of yes. Kirk uh, um. bre- breaking someone's testicles in half, <laughs> thinking it's his knee. <laughs> and great. I appreciated it as a schoolboy, which is when I first saw this film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for uh, for today. Until next time, thanks for I listening. Bet Shatner's balls are pretty low these days. Easy, easy. <laughs> <He's>, guys, <laughs> of course they are. He's in his 90s. <laughs> you always rush to his defense. <laughs> I do. You take money from Big Shatner. <laughs> Please, you're defending. You're defending his his. I defend his acting abilities. <laughs> you defend his weird fucking face and body. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Shatner's fucking crash face. Let me just cash another Shatner check. All right. Got, let, let me just let. Me, I gotta say, since we're on the Go subject, ahead. I gotta wrap wrap up the episode by saying this. Uh, we recently had Comic-Con here in San Diego, yeah. and I kept getting a, um, a Facebook post advertising his personal appearance at the Balboa Theater. And in the comments below, someone, someone had put, and this is the greatest thing that's ever been said about William Shatner, I met him once. He is not nice man. <laughs> Signed, G. Takai. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's great. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. 